All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. All right, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, the talky and definitely very touchy-feely version of my book, Photo Work, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf here with my friend and producer, Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. Hi, Sasha. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay, and I know you're doing better now, but you had a little run in, a little run in health <laughs> problem. <laughs> I did. I had a little run into the emergency room. I, um, yeah, a few weeks ago, I woke up with a, what turned out to be a acute appendicitis. So if you're listening at home, Try to avoid acute appendicitis. <laughs> That's my tip for the day. It's, uh, yeah, extremely painful. And yeah, I, w- I wound up in the hospital for three days. And it, it was, uh, in all seriousness, it was a very lonely, really scary experience because, you know, no one's allowed to be in the hospital with you during this time with COVID. Right. So the hospital staff was just obviously really overwhelmed and it was very difficult and um but i'm i'm grateful to be fine and i'm um happy to be here with you today and feel like myself again it it was a little bit of a tough uh, recovery but um yep all is well so well, let's talk a little bit about uh, this today's episode. Yes. I talked with my friend, the uh, publisher and uh, photographer, Chris Graves. I had a lot of fun speaking with him, as I knew I would. <laughs> um, so, yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, it's, it's a nice, lively conversation. And one of the things that you spent some time talking about is, you know, what, what Chris is willing to show or expected to show as a black photographer and the work he makes and the the work that uh, he thinks people expect of him. And as someone who represents him, I was wondering, you know, what you have of Chris's in your collection? Yeah, I represent, I think, you know, I would say every major body of work of his, you know, I can think of a couple that he did that are sort of more just sort of esoteric that were done on um, assignment that mm-hmm. I don't have, but but for the most part, I have most of his work, and a lot of the work I have of his is, you know, uh, challenging. And when I say challenging, I mean challenging to to sell, and which is the way it is with a lot of my artists. I represent a lot of artists who are making work that's that's not easy. That's not um, right. work that people are going to put above their couch. Um, <laughs> So, but I'm, I'm really, you know, proud of, you know, to be working with Chris and, and proud to have that work. You know, that, that part of the conversation was when he's trying to get work, he, he, you know, he's under the assumption that he has to show a certain kind of work. And so what you're saying is you have some of that other work that, uh, that I do. isn't necessarily the, the work that people would expect from him. Right. That's right. Yeah. No, yeah. I do. And so, you know, like with with the with last week's episode with Brian Skipmott, you know, people can just go to my website or go to the artist's website and and see all these the different work that we we reference. Yeah. And nothing we talk about is is hard to find. So the other thing that came up that you that you have in common is you're both former gallery owners and 
you had, I thought it was two, you just told me uh, <laughs> before we started that you had three galleries before you uh, left that kind of gallery world, that physical yep. space gallery world. Why did you uh, leave all that? Yep, I had three different spaces. I opened as yeah, Chris uh, references in our conversation. I, I My first space was in Tribeca and I moved from Tribeca. I thought that galleries were going to moved to Tribeca at one point and that didn't happen. So sort of down there all by myself. Mm. Um, this was in 2007. And so then I moved to Chelsea to be around um, my colleagues. And then when the High Line was built and Chelsea sort of started to become something different. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit more of a mall, a little bit yeah, I mean, they started what ha- they started converting a lot of the big gallery buildings. There were a lot of buildings in Chelsea that were, you know, predominantly galleries, and mm. you could get neat spaces of all different sizes and and that fit your budget, etc. But those building owners wanted to, you know, accommodate tenants with more money, advertising, architecture firms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So as Chelsea became more I don't know, just more hospitable, a lot more restaurants, et cetera, than, than it started in the High Line, then it started to get, and a lot more residential buildings were being built there. It drove a lot of galleries out, and, and the first big wave was to the Lower East Side. And so mm-hmm. I, was, I, I wound up on the Lower East Side. And then the gallery world is referred to as a grow-or-go business, hmm. which uh, means that I won't get in, I won't go too far down this rabbit hole because it, it's really complicated. Um, right. But, but basically you do feel, it's very hard in New York City or in any of the, I think, major, major art cities. It's hard to stay small because, look, I mean, again, I don't want to go too far down, down this path. But basically, you know, if you want to keep your artists, if you want to get more accomplished artists there's a way in which it pushes you to have to grow and I I knew when I started that that wasn't I didn't want to be a a big gallery I I I knew that wasn't for me I I just didn't want to be the proprietor of a huge operation Hmm. so by the time I closed the gallery I had this ground floor space in the Lower East Side on Orchard Street. And then I had taken over the sec, the space above as like a extended showroom. Oh, yeah. So I was, all of a sudden, I just was like, wait, how did I get here? You know, what, ha- you know, so, well, you know how you got there. You feel like you have to, but right. for me, it just really became, I really, I'd gotten to the point where, to, if I'm being completely honest, I really, I dreaded going to work. All the joy was just sucked out of it for me. I just love working with my artists. And, and we know from your, your, your conversation with Brian Skutmott that, you know, the, the way you got into this was through kind of passion and love and, and a, a real choice to do it. And if you were dreading going to work, then what was the, re- you know, what reason did you have for doing it? Yeah. And it was definitely a crisis. Like I felt I was very unhappy. I mean, you yeah. know, anyone who knows me well will... You know, I was I was really unhappy. I was really s- struggling. Well, and, and I I cut you off when you were about to say you really love working with the people you represent, and and I think that's also very clear in you know the way you want to work and what you've chosen to do. You didn't want to have to grow to survive necessarily just for that reason, because you do have this very strong connection, relationship, mentorship with 
the artists that you represent and you really enjoy that connection and that you know if you had to keep just growing just to survive you would have had to sacrifice a lot of that um right yeah. I would have had to have worked with artists who I may not have wanted to work with as much, but right. I knew I could sell. Right. And that, that, that was just a decision. I, I, I just didn't want to go. There was much more interested in continuing to work with artists who are very difficult to sell. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of funny. You know, a lot of the work I do That's has a hell no of a business financial... Model. <laughs> well, well, I always joke about that. You know, I mean, it, it's, it is the... It, it is the it's okay it's just nuts it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah so a lot of a lot of the work I do is nothing has nothing to do with making money it's just um but but you know it's it's so gratifying um what I did is I closed the, the space I, I have a very large apartment that when I had first I was a private dealer for five years before I even opened the gallery so I knew I could put my apartment back into showroom condition which is what I did mm. and I, I didn't know what would happen but everything's worked out fine so I still have all my clients I still so it it was a leap of faith it, it sort of a, I knew I had to do it for my sanity and it's just been just to be really clear like it's been an incredible incredible blessing and mm. I am happy I'm happy again I'm really I'm just you know, love, I love coming to work every day. And it's not because I'm just walking from my bedroom into <laughs> another room. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just fantastic to be able to focus again on the things that 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 I really love and not have to worry about a, a physical space and everything that goes into yeah, you know, babysitting that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on that, just continue on that note of um, on that that idea of having those relationships that you want with the artists. I think this it's, you know, we're on uh, episode two now about to release episode two. And, and I, and I've, you know, so I've, I've listened to the first and second because I edit them. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think that you're Good to know you listen to them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just cut here. That's right. That's right. She won't know. <laughs> but, uh, but it is that connection, it is that relationship that influences these conversations. And I think why they will be different um, from conversation to conversation. You know, you, you have these, these notes you want to get to, uh, the more existential conversations you want to have about the existence of, you know, being an artist and, and how you identify and all those things. And, but I think the, the back and forth, you, you, can, you can sense it, you can feel it in the conversation that you have these connections. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that, you know, you and I talked um, off mic about this the other day that, you know, my conversation with Brian is a little bit more reserved than my conversation with Chris. And that's hmm. a function of the fact that although Brian and I are close and have a beautiful and warm um, relationship, since the day I met Brian, he's he's not lived in New York. Mm. So, you know, Brian and I don't hang out. We talk on the phone, we email a lot. And that's that's is what it is. Whereas Chris... Um, Chris and I have been really good friends now for, you know, 13, 12, 13 years mm. and spend a lot of time together and know each other's families. And, you know, at times I think my conversation that everyone's about to hear with Chris is a little <laughs> freewheeling and whatnot. But that is, yeah, that's just, I, I, I'm not comfortable pretending that I don't have that relationship with him. And then, and the next episode 
after Chris is going to be Eleanor Carucci, and we haven't recorded that yet, but she's, you know, that'll be and someone else I represent and who I'm close to, and that'll have its own, you know, right. tone. But anyway, and eventually we'll get to people who I don't represent, <laughs> but uh, just... Uh, that's right, going, because you have self-limited that, right that number. That's right. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so a little easier right now with the with the pandemic and stuff for, you know, technical and whatever reasons that we won't get into now to sort of start with some of the people at, um, right. that, that I know better. But anyway, so shall we get to it now yes. that we've been yapping away for a while? <laughs> it was good to um, sort of get into a little bit more about... Um, uh, who you are in relationship to the, these folks you're speaking to and, and your connection yeah. to them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. So here's Chris's bio. Um, I always feel silly reading bios, but going to do my best. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do a dramatic reading. So just, uh, <laughs> I'll start, it's the, gonna be, start the music. <laughs> it's going to be like 19, late 50s, 60 method actor monotone. <laughs> That's what I'm going for. Little Brando, a little. Um, all right, on the I'm, waterfront. I'll, I'll I'll stop with no. That would be that's too animated. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, maybe it's more like maybe this is better. This is going to be a mumblecore reading. It's um, early two thousands mumblecore um, dramatic reading of Chris's bio. Okay. Chris Graves, born in 1982 in New York, is an artist and publisher based in New York. He received his BFA in visual arts from SUNY Purchase, Go SUNY Purchase, and has been published and exhibited globally, including at the National Portrait Gallery in London, at the Aperture Gallery in New York, and at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Uh, Chris's work is in the permanent collections, uh, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, the Brooklyn Museum, and the Wedge Collection in Toronto, among other places. And Chris also sits on the board of the Blue Sky Gallery in Portland, Oregon. And is a publisher, and he and I will talk about that and during my conversation with Chris. So, okay, Michael. So that was my that was my dramatic reading. Oh, you nailed um, it. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. I hope I got the part. Um, we'll call you. All right. Well, yeah. I hope people enjoy the conversation. And Michael, would you please uh, take it away? Absolutely. All right. Here's your conversation with Chris Graves. Chris Graves, welcome to the PhotoWork podcast. Why don't you tell us where you are? I'm in uh, I'm Cape Cod. I'm in a town named Brewster with my wife. She shares this house with her sister. So her sister's out in San Francisco and we're here. We've been here for about three months during the pandemic and we've spent about uh, a week back and forth in New York City over the course of the months just to kind of feel a bit of home. You know, the Cape is not actually home for either of us, so it's it's an interesting place to be. I mean, it feels like a kind of uh, residency program for me, but my wife is working very hard at the same time. So She's working remotely. Yeah, she's with the ACLU in New Jersey, and they're, they're doing a lot of great work right now. So I feel extra useless. I just get to, you know, sit home and what most people would call relaxing or doing nothing. I'm just working on the computer trying to increase pop like increase uh, viewers, viewership or eyes on the publishing company as well as my own work. I mean, that sounds really wonderful, frankly, to have 
you know, I mean, I know for myself, one of the most difficult things, I mean, I, I say no for myself, I know everyone experiences this, which is just distraction. So, um, yeah. and how, you know, I'm actually have come to uh, feel very anti-multitask. Like, I feel like when I'm multitasking, I'm actually not that productive. Mm-hmm. So it seems like to be able to have sort of less interrupted time to work on well, let's tell people about, you know, exactly what we're talking about, which is that in addition to being a fine art photographer and a, a great photographer who, full disclosure, I represent, and you're also a very close friend of mine, you also are the founder and um, head of a really wonderful small photo book publishing company. So you always have a ton going on. Yeah. So I run a company under my own name named Chris Graves Projects. And I started that organization with my cousin Gravel when we used to run a gallery in Dumbo for about two and a half years back in in the day. Yeah. We closed (laughs) in 2011. And afterwards, I wanted to get into publishing because I thought that that was the way people could actually own artwork in their homes. That's initially why we we decided to have uh, to start the book company. And now I just work on that for the last five or six years. We've probably produced about, I don't know, almost 90 books, maybe 90 books. I don't even know any at this point. But really it's incredible. A, it's a lot. It's a lot. And now I'm also starting a company named Monolith Editions, which is uh, for artists of color in, any, in all the arts fields. So another publishing company. Uh, so working on both of those things, trying to grow grow them steadily. Um, we're a limited edition press, so we usually don't make more than 500 copies of any book. That's for me and the artist. I think that for the artists, it's great for me to only have... Well, it's good that I can focus on their work for about two years and then we move on to other projects. Maybe they have a new project that they want to work on. So I do work with artists consistently if, if, if it makes sense. But yeah, so we have like a two-year turnaround for each book, meaning like we usually sell out of a book within 18 months to two years and then we move on. And just for people who don't know, you are you are African American, so you're focused on with the new imprint. I mean, was that something you were thinking about for a while? Or does that sort of feel like an imperative right now, born out of the you yeah. know, social justice, Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, I think that it's a newer venture. I've always tried to, if you look at the books that we've made, we are usually working with a lot of we're working with a, a bunch of different artists. Most are people of color and queer photographers for the uh, yeah. for the most part. Uh, so we have been, you know, we're, we keep it pretty diverse. I would say that we keep it more diverse than almost any other publishing company in the photography spectrum. Yeah. And with this company, it's not about black. It's more just artists of color. So we're going to be working with Sri Lankan artists out of Toronto named Rajni Pereira very soon. So yeah, it's it's artists of color. So we keep it pretty open. I would also say like... African-American's always been a kind of funny term because I think when I was young, my mother was like, what does that mean? I don't understand that. They made that term up like 50 years ago. It's not even like a real thing. So she, my mom always said that I was black. She, she actually hates all the like kind of Hispanic and African-American and all these kind of these terms. So I would just say black. Let's go, go with black. Your, mo- <laughs> your mom is old school. Your mom's old school. I mean, I just want to say your mom is not old. Don't get mad at me, mom. I think no, no, um, she good, she good. But she's but she's old school, so she's she's just not so into all the uh, PC culture, probably. She definitely isn't. I mean, I think there's you know, of course, pluses and minuses to PC culture in general, but like 
You know where she's from. She's from Laurelton, where your mother grew up, right? Yep. Randomly in Queens, in a part right by JFK Airport, which I guess started as a more Jewish community that then turned into more of a black community. Yep. In the, I don't know, maybe the 40s and 50s is when black people started to move in. And that's when my grandma and grandfather moved into a house, a Victorian mansion that was like $28,000 in the 1970s. And my grandma had a twin sister that lived around the block. They bought houses one block away from each other. So my mom was definitely not a PC person because she grew up with three brothers and she had six boy cousins and they used to pretty much go on a baseball field and play a full game because they had that many people in their family. (laughs) That that, that has nothing to do with being PC or not, but that's kind of the, that's the history of my mom at least. (laughs) Yeah. Love your mom. So, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's, there's so much going on. You're doing so much right now that I almost don't even know what to ask you because it's just, I'm thinking like, let me ask you this and then we can talk about your photography, but I just want to just ask you this about publishing. Where exactly then do the two publishing imprints, where are they diverging exactly? I'm I'm a little unclear on. Okay. Well, the yeah, so KG Projects or Chris Graves Projects, that company will remain a photographic and works like a photographic-based uh, uh, company. Uh, that's one big. That's one big piece. Also, with with KGP, we'll be focusing on all artists, not just artists of color. With Monolith, we're working with all sorts of different art forms. We'll be working with writers to make uh, you know novels and short ah, stories. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're doing like uh, right. like books on paintings, like mo- like pi- painting monographs or painting uh we're we're keeping it completely open in every way besides it just being people of color that are we're producing Chris, books with. This is awesome. I have to say like to anyone listening, you know, I may ask Chris questions that I already know the answer to because of my relationship with him. But this is totally g- genuinely news to me. I did not know that. And that's so cool. I'm, I'm, thank you. Wow. That is really amazing. I'm, I'm and stoked for you. That that's amazing undertaking. Thank you. And you know, it's, it's the same deal for me. It's like, try to make books that are, that use high quality materials that we can sell for inexpensive. So we're not really, there's like really a very low profit margin for both of the companies, even lower with uh, the monolith company, just because we want to keep things almost too cheap. I mean, look, we're making books that should usually cost about $40 for about 25 to or $20 for those same titles. So right. we're trying to get these books out into the world in a way uh, that's a little bit different. You know, once again, this is not your get rich quick scheme. <laughs> I need one of those so bad, you know, like it would just, <laughs> okay, let me just tell you a story really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I just, this is just about one's nature because of course it's your nature to just do the things that really excite you and not worry about money. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a filmmaker and I was like just struggling and writing all this really quirky stuff that no one know, knew what to do with. I remember my mom, who is just like the smartest, the most amazing person in the world. So don't, this is sort of out of character for her, but I remember her like once asking me, can't you just write something really, you know, commercial? And yeah. I was just laughing because I was just like, you know, I'm not like willfully not <laughs> like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not like I don't, I'm, I'm not philosophically not writing something poppy, right? It just wasn't in my head. It just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, and you know, I know you, I know you just, you 
you go with what you feel passionately about, whether or not it's, it's just another sort of, as I say, out of the frying pan and into the fire sort of thing. So I yeah. know you're, you're going to have to work your ass off, but... I mean, I think it's the same for both of us. I mean, you, I met you at down at the gallery. I now would, must have been maybe 13 or 14 years ago when you had a space yep. down in Tribeca. Is that Tribeca? I guess that was Tribeca, right? Yep. Yep. Tribeca. And that's just right. seeing the hustle that you had there, you know, that's very influential to me. I mean, I didn't have shit then. I mean, I had like a, I had an idea. Uh, <laughs> and to see that someone could just say like, I'm going to do what I want and have a space doing this and just say, you know what, if people like it, they like it. And if not, fuck them, you know, like, let's, I like, I liked that a lot. So that really kind of stressed. I think you and I are a lot alike that way. I yeah, mean, totally. and just, just to fill people in, what Chris is talking about is that, that I never worked in a gallery. I had come from a film background, but I had studied photography, fine art photography pretty extensively. Chris and I actually both very far apart, but both went to SUNY Purchase. Purchase. Uh, Chris Whoop. was a photo major. Mm-hmm. I was not a photo major, but I took a lot of photography classes with actually some of the same professors. Oh, yeah. And, and when I decided to stop making films, I just hustled my way into, uh, you know, through hard work and a sort of like, if they build it, they will come attitude mm-hmm. and, and open the gallery. And that's the way you live your life. So tell me a bit about how, how you think about your art making, assuming you think of photography as art. Maybe you don't. You Mm -hmm. can tell me, but fill me in on how you think about your practice today, what your trajectory has been to get you to where where you are right now. Uh Uh-huh. Well, yes, photography is definitely an art form. I think that you can choose to use your photography as art or you can choose to use it in some other ways. Like you can be a photojournalist, which I think is a slight difference. It's still art, of course, but there's a different like output you know, do you know what I mean by that? Like, it's just a little different of a um, place to put it, I guess. I'm not really, I have never made work with the intentions of it being in like magazines or or anything like that. I, As far as the portraiture that I've produced in the past, I've only photographed, for myself, I've only photographed people I know. So, friends, family, and friends and friends of friends. So, it's been a pretty tight circle of people that I have photographs of for my personal work. So that's one piece. Yep. And then the landscape pieces really has grown out of me making... I live in uh, Western Queens in a neighborhood named Long Island City. But I also live in every different neighborhood of Western Queens at some point in the last few years. I am from Queens, but Eastern Queens. And this is like city Queens. This is more like cosmopolitan in terms of like how near... Yeah, closer to uh, Manhattan and... Yeah, totally. More people. kind of hip neighborhoods mm-hmm. of Brooklyn. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I've been photographing there in these neighborhoods for about 15, 16 years and photographing the development, the gentrification, the infrastructure changes, all that. So coming from, well, you know, in college, I think I was, I graduated from college at the exact time that like Gursky had a show at the MoMA and Struth was showing everywhere and all these like German photographers that were very like, uh, I don't know what the word is. Austere. (laughs) Austere is good. I was just going to say like, not boring, but like Bescher style, you know, just kind of like, this is the school they came from, Dusseldorf School of Photography for the most part. And it was like straight up, very clean four by five or like large format view camera works that just showed a scene with no personality or culture in mind. That's a harsh way to put what I'm thinking, but that's how I... That's okay. Yeah, that's how I tried to make my own work for a bit because I was just influenced by those guys coming out of college. 
I actually forgot the question you asked because I've been talking for so long, but... <laughs> oh, that's okay. You haven't been talking for that long, but uh, the, yeah, just sort of trying to nail down your trajectory mm. to where you are today. And yeah, um, it's it's been a long you're time photographing. Yeah, it's been a long time trying to work through. I mean, the first works that I made were purely for myself, meaning I I was making work because I wanted to bike around Queens and photograph something a little bit like photographing the normal things in Queens, but trying to find the special in the normal, which is a weird way to say, like, just photographing super boring stuff and seeing if I can get a good photograph out of it. I mean, that's that's what I saw in those works that I just mentioned from the other guys. So, I was like, can I yep. find something super boring and make a good photograph out of it? If I can, then I've won. I mean, it would take me a year to make five good photographs. It still does. But now is more focused on culture, our, our culture now, our uh, Western development or development in the Western world, that being like Europe, America, some of China, like Hong Kong and the cities in China. I've been focused on photographing racism in the landscape, infrastructure, and like economic displacement, stuff like that. So that was, that's been the project trajectory now. I, I look for specific, like I can't photo, I'm, I used to photograph, you know, a lot of photographers have photographed empty or decrepit buildings like insides and that was interesting to me at some point but now it's more about what are the public spaces that are being passed over that have that are loaded with the problems that i mentioned what do you think that's a function of i mean the the switch is that is that a function of feeling as though things in the world or in our world as far as race goes have gotten mm -hmm. worse or is it a function of your being older or i'm going to give you a bunch of possibilities um, <laughs> so is it mul multiple choice is it a is it a, a function of maturity or is it a function of being less susceptible to the influence of you know as you come into your own and become more confident you can shed some of the influence that was sort of propping you up so maybe yeah. you know shedding like the Dusseldorf Mm -hmm. in influence or none of the above. That's also I think option. that it has to, it definitely starts with losing education, right? I mean, I think we, I learned in such a way that it was really tight what I learned, meaning like I learned about these hundred photographers, not only the Germans, of course. Like, I mean, I've, we went to school with people that went like knew like Lois Connor who makes beautiful work and Judith Joy Ross and Gordon Parks and Eugene Smith. So I was learning a lot about a lot of different photographers. And I was probably trying to emulate those photographers a lot being a little bit younger as I realized that the art world was pretty, um, I don't know what the right word for this one is, but like uh, monolithic actually is a good word for it. Like the, the art world wasn't uh, teaching me about any black or African photographer. Like I've, I don't, I know maybe three African photographers names. I know maybe one other or two other black photographers that make landscapes. And the most, most of the time what I'm seeing with black photographers, they're making they're making work about black body and black body issues, um, which I think is extremely important. But there is also a lack of the opposite, meaning there's a lack of black photographers making non-black body work, is what I'll say, I guess, a way to say it. I mean, maybe that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. I, um, because they, because what do you attribute that to? Because black artists feel like they have to speak to larger... Because I don't think you can get a job without... You know, I think that as a black photographer, you're not really getting hired to make landscapes. That's how I see it. So why show it? I mean, if I knew that I could only get jobs or if I already liked working with people, 
then portraiture makes most sense because people are going to like that more instantaneously. You can get a job shooting portraits. Very difficult to get a landscape or architecture job as a black dude or a black person or a person of color just because those jobs never okay, went so to wait, us. Okay, so wait, let me just tease this out for a second because I think even I misunderstood. So are we, we're talking about like getting gigs. We're not talking about just one's sort of personal work that would mm. one would make in the hopes of yeah. being in a gallery or a museum or just tease that out. I think out it's a me. mix. I think that we're talking about making artwork in general. I think that most people that get gigs are making artwork for those gigs that they would probably be making similar work personally. Like if I'm getting hired to make photographs of like with just with Nat Geo just now getting hired to go down to Richmond and Virginia and photograph the tearing down of statue or the removal of the Confederate monuments or things like that. That's in line with my work. It's it is still a job, but I would never get hired from that for that type of job unless I had work where I photographed the murder scenes of where black people were killed by police officers or like Stone Mountain, Georgia and photographing these kind of landmarks. It all comes, even though that stuff was personal work, it's hard. It's hard to discriminate from so, like the personal work and the work that you get paid to do if you're yeah. making money off photography. I mean, they, they well, let me, are let super me, close. Let me tell you what I think I hear you saying. It sounds like what you're saying is that the art world and the the photography world adjacent to the art world, which is a world run by photo editors at magazines and publications, mm-hmm. are not great at thinking of black photographers for jobs and or museum shows, etc., that are not black subject matter oriented. That's, is that, is that yeah. I would say that that is okay. a definite. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Like, I can't. I, the only landscape photog- photographs from a black person in a museum that I've seen recently were, well, Carrie Mae Weems and B- Dawood Bay. Besides those Both two, of I whom ha- make a lot yeah. of work about being black. Yes, of course, and they make a lot of portraiture in that sense too. So they also have their landscape stuff, uh, but I don't see much of it. We're not at a point where. Are we saying... I'm saying that companies are definitely not hiring black people to make landscapes. That's what I'm saying. Like, the, the, If you're hiring a black photographer in 2020, you're usually going to hire that person to make portraits. And I would, I would definitely sign my name next to that statement. Portraits about... Blackness. Portraits of blackness. Right. Okay. Let's just be clear about this. Yeah. Does it feel also... Coming at this the other way, does it also feel that... There's more, if you're white, you have the luxury of sort of being Harry Callahan and just photographing, <laughs> you know, Minor white <laughs> weeds, style, you know, like- weeds and snow. Right. And that if you're a black photographer, you have to photograph, you have to be more political that you don't, I'm, I'm in no way advocating or not advocating this position. I'm absolutely just asking you if this is what you're thinking. I believe so. I, I believe that if I made a, a lot of, you know, I've done that. I've made like photographs of Iceland that I thought were pretty great. And I did it for a very specific reason relating to my blackness. But if you see the photographs, you can't see that. And uh, I've never gotten a job based on those photographs. You know, I got, no, one's at, no one said like, hey, I want you to make photographs like you made in Iceland when I'm getting hired for these positions. Right. Okay, but I, I guess I'm, I'm going to make this more difficult for you because I'm going to keep That's asking fine. this. Okay, so what I'm trying to figure out, because we know that 
the world is is racist and i mm-hmm. i mean i think the art world is has a lot of really big problems and issues around race and also gender discrimination and you know it's mm-hmm. it's look these like everything else it's a older white male party and other people hope to be invited but i guess what i'm really interested in is i if you feel pressure to make the work political because mm. you don't feel like you have the luxury as a black man in america to sort of just make pretty pictures I love pretty pictures, by the way. They, you know, yeah, so too. I don't say that I'm with disdain. There's room mm-hmm. for all of this. Of course, of course. And I think that I, just like most black people have to do in, in all forms of life, there are things you show people and there's things you don't. Like, you know, like the code switch is what you're doing. Like what I'm doing with photography, at least, you know, I'm always making pictures that, that are of like my friend's kids and like beautiful beach photographs and stuff like that. But you're probably not going to see them. You know what I mean? Like you are definitely like the public will definitely see the work that that is about the culture and the culture shift. So yes, I make all that work, but I'm only showing one piece of it for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, yeah, I do. It's, yeah, it's intense. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's like if I photograph like spider webs, this beautiful spider webs outside of our, house then it's like what is the use what 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 where does that get well where does it get me personally where does it get like a, photographing a beautiful spider web thing people have done that for hundreds of years but can i photograph something that is time sensitive or like more about culture pretty much i guess i keep saying the word culture and what i mean by Sorry. that is like our photography existence and photography world has focused on anglo western culture and which we just have to try to open that up as much as possible. So I, I'm I'm here to try to open that space up for more people. We, leaving that for right now and just sort of moving over to the side a little bit, but staying in sort of the general space. Mm-hmm. So many euphemisms in that one sentence. Um, <laughs> how does it feel to be a black man in the New York art world? Because I know, you know, that... You and I have been to many events together over the years, and I'm I'm really aware when you're the only black person in the room. Like I'm aware. Yeah. Of it. I don't know if I've ever said that to you, but uh, I probably have, knowing our relationship. But yeah, it happens. I mean, it it, it happens. I mean, how does every that time. feel? How does that feel? I mean, I'm so used to it at this point. I think when I first started to realize that, it was when I was the person that was running the, the show. You know what I mean? Like I used to rent out right. gallery space. Yes. So yeah, I would yeah, then yeah. say like, oh, cool. Yeah. I'm the only person in this room out of, or maybe two black people considering like me and my mom were probably there, maybe my sisters and then white 25 year olds. So like that's pretty much what you're seeing in those spaces. So I realized pretty yeah. early on that I was going to be the 1% in the room. And then I started working right. at the Guggenheim Museum where I was definitely the only black person that was uh, in a creative role in the entire museum for 11 years. God, that's intense. So I, it's been so a part of my life that I don't even, yeah. I can't even see it anymore. I just go into a room knowing that, you know, I definitely know that I'm good enough to be in those rooms. I don't feel like, I don't feel pained by this uh, kind of discrimination that's been happening for so long anymore. I'm just trying to move things ahead. I think that it's just like I put my right. head down and try to make new relationships, talk to the people I think 
are necessary to talk to. You know, it's it's about having some fun. I do have fun when we're out. I mean, especially when we're out drinking and like at these gallery openings when there were gallery openings. I mean, that has changed as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that in the last five years, like I've not gone to many galleries because there's no community of it anymore. There used to be a bigger community in New York of this stuff, but city changed Definitely. a little bit. Yeah. So yeah, I notice sure it every has. time I'm out. I've never been in a black. I've never been in an art space besides uptown sometimes where it has been mostly more like mainly black people ever. Yeah. In any part of the world, in any country that I've shown in or any state. Hey, so well, let's go from there to some other existential mm -hmm. thoughts, questions. Tell me. Where are you? This is just something that I'm always really interested in because of my own struggle um, with it. Yeah. But where are you as far as like deep feelings of satisfaction? I mean, <laughs> you know, do you feel like when you wake up in the morning or when you go to sleep at night that what you're doing is contributing to the world? I mean, <laughs> do you ever have doubts about the importance of it and wish you, you know, were volunteering with Doctors Without Borders? Or do you feel like you're right where you want to be? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really think about a goal in this game. I just want to be able to be relevant. That's what my goal is to kind of maintain some level of relevancy. I think that that's, I would love to just have a nice little relevant bubble for 50 years instead of having like a really popular two years or some shit. You know, I, could, I see that as a detriment to a lot of photographers that get really popular and famous really quickly. After about five or six years, it fizzles and you're not really relevant anymore. I, I don't want to be that. That is maybe scary to me, but I also just go through my day not thinking about any of that stuff. I just have so much stuff that I'm working on that I would like to see happen that the history of it is not important. Like... I'm not thinking about it so much, you know? No, it's amazing. I want whatever that chemical is that's in your... I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not... I don't consider myself... Like, God, I hope that people aren't laugh, don't laugh when I say this, but I don't consider myself particularly neurotic. You know, I, I'm when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm feeling sad, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't ruminate. I just... I have these, you know, things in my life that... Like, I'm... I know we'll alleviate those feelings and I go right to them. So it's either running, you know, going for a run, going for a bike ride, you know, doing yeah. some sort of intense physical activity, playing the guitar is either number one or two in the list of things that, you know, make me feel great. Mm -hmm. Meditation, you know, have like, I go, I don't sit around feeling bad. Like I feel really good about those techniques and those tools. But yeah. having said that, I definitely like struggle with some of these big things and I love that you just sort of don't even go there. I mean, I, I just, I want some of that, man. Like that <laughs> is awesome. Yeah. For the most part, I can get away with that. I mean, I, there are some times where you, we struggle. I mean, I think all humans struggle. So I can't say that I'm like a struggle free. I just, there's a lot of stuff, you know, I have a personal life. So therefore there are struggles, of course, as far as the art is concerned, you know, I don't have a job. So I'm always kind of the hustle is just consistent. I need to make money to like provide for my family and I don't want to have a job to do that with. So it is important for me to keep the hustle going like new books. Uh, hope like sometimes I get lucky enough to get like a, a good job when of course before like Corona times, uh, I would, I did a lot of work in the city for some museums. Like I work for the 
Jewish Museum, like photographing the collection for them and working with Pace Gallery and other spots in the city make, making work for people. So without that, it's really the hustle's real trying to get this like some money in through the in the digital way. So there there are it's not like stress free, but I'm working in a field that I'm very comfortable with at this point. I'm not trying to make a fortune. I'm just trying to pay my bills and my bills are very limited, right? I don't have school debt which thanks to my parents, they said choose purchase and they'll pay, which was great because it was a state school and if I went to any other school that I got into, I would have had I would have been in that $100,000 debt like that. That would have been me. Yeah, man. So, I I we are so lucky that way. I, I I didn't realize that, I have to say. I didn't realize that until... Mm-hmm. I don't know when I started hearing people talking about school debt. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like two years ago. I mean, it was, long, you know, further back. But a- anyway, I didn't really realize like, oh my God, that's... Yeah, that's like something I've never... I don't know. People go to state schools. I mean, if you have a good state school, it is. it's just... We are lucky. Yeah. Oh, so lucky. You know, I, I grew up with parents that were wanted to be artists, but if you were black in the 80s in New York City, that was not a possibility for you. So, I think they were just like, hey, you can do this. If you think that you, if this is what you want for your life, then go into the arts. I mean, photography was chosen because I thought to myself that was the only art form that I could actually make a living at. I mean, I, I didn't know any famous painter or drawer that was making enough money to like survive. So, I was like, photography, at least I can get a job doing it, you know. So, that's why I kind of chose that early on in high school. Plus, I was bad at everything else in high school. So, it was a (laughs) no-brainer. And yeah, I was just really fortunate enough to like have a family structure that allowed me with privilege to have an opportunity to go to school and not have to pay for it after. So, I live for pretty inexpensive. Just to go back to the point like now, I... You know, I live in New York City. It's not actually inexpensive. But for the money that I can make being in New York City normally minus the COVID times, it's okay. And, you know, my wife has a job too, so that's helpful. So, I don't get too stressed out by the artwork because I know that the artists want to work with me and I want to work with them. So, that keeps everything pretty positive. You know, it's so weird. I was just thinking, you know, often it's like having a spouse who works in the nonprofit sector doesn't seem like the financial jackpot. But I'll bet you you know, Sarah's job is probably really stable right now. I think she's doing more work than she ever has for, for them, for ACLU. So, yeah, she's, it's, you know, it's more than stable. There's way too much work to be done. But, you know, even for a lot of like nonprofits, man, it's like, as the, you know, look, I'm sure a lot of nonprofits are struggling with donations and yeah, staffs are being cut. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be cavalier about it at all, but I was just thinking like as the government just completely lets us down, it does seem like, you know, nonprofits are really just going to have to come in and somehow and save the day in so many different areas. What a colossal, I mean, I can't even believe the state of this country right now, but <laughs> it won't take us down that rabbit hole. It's pretty tough. Oh, anyway. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm like, yeah, we've diverted Sweden, from the will you have me? Yeah. I'm trying to wait. I mean, even I'll take Canada. I'll go, I'll live in Toronto. Yeah, dude, let's do it. I, yeah. Let's I got so I'm, I'm gaining connections in Toronto just because it's like, yeah, if okay. this country, if keep, this country really goes, on that. then it's time to get like, or at least the upstate, uh, I don't know, like buy 10 acres have five houses and just have your own commune deal okay, going down. Okay, so Leslie Martin, <laughs> Leslie Martin and I were on the phone for like an hour last night having this conversation. 
that I've also had with, I'm pretty sure I've had it with Matthew Pillsbury. Mm-hmm. We've definitely, like, all the good friends, like, is it time to just, you know, get the commune going and get off the grid? Yeah, it is almost time. I mean, I, I'm trying to bank. I mean, I don't, I don't get to save so much money because I don't make that much, but every bit. Minus like the sneaker game. Got to keep up on the sneaker game. But besides the sneaker game, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll keep the same t-shirts for 20 years, but the sneaker game got to change. Um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm interested in something else because I know th- if the city can't survive this, the next one is going to be insurmountable. Yep. But anyway, listen, I wanted to just say thank you so much for talking with me and... Yeah, of course. Anytime. I love you and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. Thanks for being my guest. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, Really appreciate it. Okay, bye. Peace. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. Photo Work.